Chapter 11, Part 2 of Kangaroo by D. H. Lawrence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. Chapter 11 Willie Struthers and Kangaroo, Part 2 of 2. Richard was thankful to get out of Canberra Hall. It was like escaping from one of the medical examination rooms in the war. He and Jazz went in silence down the crowded narrow pavement of George Street towards the circular quay. Richard called at the general post office in Martin Place. As he came out again and stood on the steps folding the stamps he had bought, seeing the sun down Pitt Street, the people hurrying, the flowers at the corner, the pink spread of bulletins for sale at the corner of George Street, the handsome cabs and taxis standing peacefully in the morning shadow of the post office. Suddenly the whole thing switched right away from him. He hailed a hansom. "'Jez,' he said, "'I want to drive around the botanical gardens and round the spit there, and I want to look at the peacocks and cockatoos.' Jazz climbed in with him. Right-o, said the cabbie, hearing the order, and they clock-clocked away up the hill to Marquery Street. You know, Jazz, said Richard, looking with joy at the blue harbour inlet, where the Australian fleet lay rusting to bits, with a few gay flags, you know, Jazz, I shan't do it. I shan't do anything. I just don't care about it. You don't? said Jazz, with a sudden winsome smile. I try to kid myself that I care about mankind and its destiny, and I have fits of wistful love for the working man. But at the bottom I'm as hard as a mango nut. I don't care about them all. I don't really care about anything. No, I don't. I just don't care. So what's the good of fussing? Why, no, said Jazz, again with a quick smile. I feel neither good nor bad. I feel like a fox that has gnawed his tail off and so escaped out of a trap. It seems like a trap to me, all this social business and this saving mankind. Why can't mankind save itself? It can if it wants to. I'm a fool. I neither want love nor power. I like the world, and I like to be alone in it, by myself. What do you want, Jazz? Richard was like a child escaped from school, escaped from his necessity to be something and to do something. They had jogged past the palm trees and the grass of the gardens, and the blue wrens had cocked their preposterous tails. They jogged to the end of the promontory, under wild trees, and Richard looked at the two lobes of the harbour, blue water on either side, and another part of the town beyond. Now, take us back to the cockatoos, he said to the cabbie. Richard loved the look of Australia, that marvellous soft flower blue of the air and the sombre grey of the earth, the foliage, the brown of the low rocks, like the dull pelts of kangaroos. It had a wonder and a far-awayness, even here in the heart of Sydney. All the shibboleths of mankind are so trumpery. Australia is outside everything. 
"'I couldn't exactly say,' Jazz answered. "'You've got a bit of an Australian look this morning about you,' he added with a smile. "'I feel Australian. I feel a new creature. But what's the outcome?' "'Oh, you'll come back to caring, I should think, for the sake of having something to care about. That's what most of them do. They want to turn bush rangers for six months, and then they get frightened of themselves and come back and want to be good citizens. Bush ranger. But Australia's like an open door with the blue beyond. You just walk out of the world and into Australia. And it's just somewhere else. All those nations left behind in their schoolrooms fussing. Let them fuss. This is Australia, where one can't care. Jazz sat rather pale, and ten times more silent than ever. "'I expect you've got yourself to reckon with, no matter where you are. That's why most Australians have to fuss about something, in politics or horse racing or football, though a man can go empty in Australia if he likes, as you said yourself,' replied he. "'Then I'll go empty,' said Richard. "'What makes you fuss with kangaroo and struthers, Jazz?' Me? The smile was slow and pale. Go into the middle of Australia and see how empty it is. You can't face emptiness long. You have to come back and do something to keep from being frightened at your own emptiness and everyone else's emptiness. It may be empty, but it's wicked, and it'll kill you if it can. Something comes out of the emptiness to kill you. You have to come back and do things with mankind to forget. It's wonderful to be empty. It's wonderful to feel this blue globe of emptiness of the Australian air. It shuts everything out, protested Richard. You'll be an Aussie yet, smiled Jazz slowly. Shall I regret it? asked Richard. The eyes of the two men met. In the pale gray eyes of Jazz, something lurking like an old experienced consciousness looking across at the childish consciousness of summers almost compassionately and half in mockery you'll change back before you regret it he said are you wise jazz and am i childish richard's look suddenly changed also into mockery if you're wise jazz why do you wander round like a lost soul because you do and what takes you to Struthers if you belong to Kangaroo? I'm secretary for the Coal and Timber Merchants' Union, said Jazz quietly. They got out of the cab to look at the aviaries, wonderful, brilliant-colored little birds, the love birds self-consciously smirking. Hello, pronounced with pure Australian cockney. Hello, 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 cocky, what do you want? This in a more-than-human voice from the fine sulphur-crested cockatoo. Hello, cocky! His thick black tongue working his narrow mouth. So absolutely human, this sound, and yet a bird's. It was startling and very funny. The two men talked to the cockatoos, fascinated and amused, for a quarter of an hour. The emu came prancing up with his alert, large, sticking-out eyes and his whiskers. An alert gentleman with the dark Australian eye very wide awake and yet far off in the past, and a remote, alert, sharp gentleness 
belonging to far past twilight ages before enemies and iron weapons were perfected a very remote dirt-brown gentleman from the lost plains of time the peacock rustling his blue fireworks seemed a sort of novo riche in comparison somers went in the evening of this memorable day to dine with kangaroo the other man was quiet and seemed preoccupied i went to willie struthers this morning somers said kangaroo looked at him sharply through his pince-nez on the subtle face of Summers a small, wicked smile hovered like a half-visible flame. But it was his alive, beautiful face, and his whole person seemed magnetic. "'Who took you there?' asked Kangaroo sharply. "'Jazz?' "'Jazz is a meddlesome patty. Well, and what then?' "'I think Willie is rather a terror. I wouldn't like to have to spend my life with him. But he's shrewd.' only I don't like him physically, something thin and hairy and spiderish. I don't want to touch him, but he's a force. He's something. Kangaroo looked puzzled, and his face took a heavy, stupid look. He wouldn't want you to touch him, he barked. He didn't offer to shake hands, did he? No, thank goodness, said Summers, thinking of the red, dry, thin-skinned hand. There was a hostile silence from Kangaroo. He knew that this subtle, attractive Summers, with the faint glow about him like an aura, was venomous, and yet he was helplessly attracted to him. "'And what do you mean about his being something? Some more Trevella?' "'Perhaps. I couldn't help feeling that Struthers was shrewder than you are, in a way baser, but for that reason more likely to be effectual.' Kangaroo watched Richard for a long time in silence. "'I know why Truhella took you there,' he said sulkily. "'Why?' "'Oh, I know why. And what have you decided?' "'Nothing.' There was a long and obstinate silence. The two men were at loggerheads, and neither would make the first move. "'You seem very thick with Truhella,' said Kangaroo at last. "'Not thick,' said Richard. "'Celts, Cornish, Irish, they always interest me. "'What do you imagine is at the bottom of jazz?' "'Treachery.' "'Oh, not only,' laughed Summers. "'Then why do you ask me if you know better?' "'Because I don't really get to the bottom of him. "'There is no bottom to get to. "'He's the instinctive traitor, as they all are.' "'Oh, surely not only that.' I see nothing else. They would like the white civilization to be trampled underfoot piecemeal, and at the same time they live on us like parasites, Kangaroo glowered fiercely. There's something more, replied Richard. They don't believe in our gods, in our ideals. They remember older gods, older ideals, different gods, before the Jews invented a mental Jehovah and a spiritual Christ. They are near the magic of the animal world. Magic of the animal world? roared Kangaroo. What does that nonsense mean? Are you a traitor to your own human intelligence? All too human, smiled Richard. Kangaroo sat up very straight and looked at Summers. Summers still smiled faintly and luminously. Why are you so easily influenced? 
said Kangaroo, with a certain cold reproof. You are like a child. I know that is part of the charm of your nature, that you are naive like a child, but sometimes you are childish rather than childlike, a perverse child. Let me be a perverse child, then, laughed Summers, with a flash of attractive laughter at Kangaroo. It frightened the big man, this perverse mood. If only he could have got the wicked light out of Lovat's face and brought back the fire of earnestness. And yet, as an individual, he was attracted to the little fellow now, like a moth to a candle, a great lumbering moth to a small but dangerous flame of a candle. "'I'm sure it's Druthers' turn to set the world right before it's yours,' Somer said. "'Why are you sure?' "'I don't know. I thought so when I saw him. You're too human.' Kangaroo was silent and offended. "'I don't think that is a final reason,' he replied. "'For me it is. No, I want one of the olives that the man took away. You give one such good food, one forgets deep questions in your lovely salad. Why don't you do as Jazz says, and back up the reds for the time being? Play your pawns and your bishops. You know that a bite from a hyena means blood poisoning, said Kangaroo. Oh, don't be solemn. You mean Willie Struthers? Yes, I wouldn't want to be bitten, but if you are so sure of love as an all-ruling influence, and so sure of the fidelity of the diggers through love, I should agree with Jazz. Push Struthers where he wants to go. Let him proclaim the rule of the people. Let him nationalize all industries and resources, and confiscate property above a certain amount, and bring the world about his ears. Then you step in like a savior. It's much easier to point to a wrecked house if you want to build something new than to persuade people to pull the house down and build it up in a better style. Kangaroo was deeply offended, mortified, yet he listened. You are hopelessly facile, Lovat, he said gently. In the first place, the greatest danger to the world today is anarchy, not Bolshevism. It is anarchy and unrule that are coming on us, and that is what I, as an order-loving Jew, and one of the half-chosen people, do not want. I want one central principle in the world, the principle of love, the maximum of individual liberty, the minimum of human distress. Lovat, you know I am sincere, don't you? There was a certain dignity and pathos in the question. I do, replied Summers sincerely, but I am tired of one central principle in the world. Anything else means chaos. Well, there has to be chaos occasionally. And then, Rue, if you do want a benevolent, fatherly autocracy, I'm sure you'd better step in after there's been a bit of chaos. Kangaroo shook his head. Like a wayward child, like a wayward child, he murmured. You are not so much a fool, Lovat, that you can't see that once you break the last restraints on humanity today, it is the end. It is the end. Once burst the floodgates, and you'll never get the water back into control. Never. Then let it distill up to heaven. I really don't care. But, man, you are perverse. What's the matter with you? 
suddenly bellowed Kangaroo. They had gone into the study for coffee. Kangaroo stood with his head dropped and his feet apart, his back to the fire. And suddenly he roared like a lion at Summers. Summers started and then laughed. Even perversity has its points, he said. Kangaroo glowered like a massive cloud. Summers was standing, staring at the Durer etching of St. Jerome. He loved Durer. Suddenly, with a great massive movement, Kangaroo caught the other man to his breast. "'Don't, Lovat,' he said in a much-moved voice, pressing the slight body of the lesser man against his own big breast and body. "'Don't,' he said, with a convulsive tightening of his arm. Summers, squeezed so that he could hardly breathe, kept his face from Kangaroo's jacket and managed to ejaculate, "'All right!' Let me go, and I won't. Don't thwart me, pleaded Kangaroo. Don't, or I shall have to break all connection with you, and I love you so. I love you so. Don't be perverse and put yourself against me. He still kept Summers clasped against him, but not squeezed so hard, and Summers heard over his own head the voice speaking with a blind yearning. Not to himself. No, it was speaking over his head to the void, to the infinite, and sometimes tiresome like that. Even the words, I love you so, I love you so, they made the marrow in Lovat's bones melt, but they made his heart flicker even more devilishly. It is an impertinence that he says he loves me, he thought to himself, but he did not speak, out of regard for Kangaroo's emotion, which was massive and genuine, even if Summers felt it missed his own particular self completely. In those few moments, when he was clasped to the warm, passionate body of Kangaroo, Summers' mind flew with swift thought. He doesn't love me, he thought to himself. He just turns a great general emotion on me like a tap. I feel as cold as steel in his clasp, and as separate. It is presumption he is loving me, if he was in any way really aware of me, he'd keep at the other end of the room as if I was a dangerous little animal. He wouldn't be hugging me if I were a scorpion. And I am a scorpion. So why doesn't he know it? Damn his love. He wants to force me. After a few minutes, Kangaroo dropped his arm and turned his back. He stood there, a great hulked black back. Summers thought to himself, If I were a kestrel, I'd stoop and strike him straight in the back of the neck, and he'd die. He ought to die. Then he went and sat in his chair. Kangaroo left the room. He did not come back for some time, and Lovat began to grow uncomfortable. But the devilishness in his heart continued, broken by moments of tenderness or pity or self-doubt. The gentleness was winning when Kangaroo came in again, and one look at the big, gloomy figure set the devil alert like a flame again in the other man's heart. Kangaroo took his place before the fire again, but looked aside. "'Of course you understand,' he began in a muffled voice, "'that it must be one thing or the other. Either you are with me, and I feel you with me, or you cease to exist for me.' Summers listened with wonder. He admired the man for his absoluteness and his strange, blind, heroic obsession. "'I am not really against you, am I?' 
said Summers, and his own heart answered, Yes, you are. You are not with me, said Kangaroo bitterly. No, said Summers slowly. Then why have you deceived me, played with me, suddenly roared Kangaroo. I could have killed you. Don't do that, laughed Summers rather coldly. But the other did not answer. He was like a black cloud. I want to hear, said Kangaroo, your case against me. It's not a case, Kangaroo, said Richard. It's sort of instinct. Against what? Why, against your ponderousness, and against your insistence, and against the whole sticky stream of love, and the hateful will to love. It's the will to love that I hate, Kangaroo. In me? In us all. I just hate it. It's a sort of syrup we have to stew in, and it's loathsome. Don't love me. Don't want to save mankind. You're so awfully general, and your love is so awfully general, as if one were only a cherry in the syrup. Don't love me. Don't want me to love you. Let's be hard, separate men. Let's understand one another deeper than love. Two human ants, in short, said Kangaroo, and his face was yellow. No, no, two men. Let us go to the understanding that is deeper than love. Is any understanding deeper than love? asked Kangaroo with a sneer. Why, yes, you know it is, at least between men. I'm afraid I don't know it. I know the understanding that is much less than love. If you want me to have a merely commonplace acquaintance with you, I refuse. That's all. We are neither of us capable of a quite commonplace acquaintance. Oh, yes, I am, barked Kangaroo. I'm not. But you're such a kangaroo, wanting to carry mankind in your belly pouch, cozy with its head and long ears peeping out. You sort of figure yourself a kangaroo of Judah, instead of a lion of Judah. Jehovah with a great heavy tail and a belly pouch. Let's get off it and be men, with the gods beyond us. I don't want to be godlike, kangaroo. I like to know the gods beyond me. Let's start as men, with the great gods beyond us. He looked up with a beautiful candor in his face and a diabolic bit of mockery in his soul. For Kangaroo's face had gone like an angry wax mask with mortification. An angry wax mask of mortification, haughty with a stiff, wooden haughtiness, and two little near-set holes for eyes behind glass pince-nez. Richard had a moment of pure hate for him in the silence for Kangaroo refused to answer. "'What's the good, men trying to be gods?' said Richard. "'You're a Jew, and you must be Jehovah or nothing. "'We're Christians, all little Christ walking without our crucifixes. "'Jazz is quite right to play us one against the other. "'Struthers is the Antichrist, preaching love alone. "'I'm tired. Tired and I want to be a man with the gods beyond me, greater than me. I want the great gods and my own mere manliness. It's the treacherous Truhuela, 
kangaroo murmured to himself then he seemed to be thinking hard and then at last he lifted his head and looked at somers and now somers openly hated him his face was arrogant insolent righteous i'm sorry i have made a mistake in you he said but we had better settle the matter finally here i think the best thing you can do is to leave australia i don't think you can do me any serious damage with your talk i would ask you before i warn you not to try that is all i should prefer now to be alone he had become again hideous with a long yellowish face and black eyes close together and a cold mindless dangerous hulk to his shoulders for a moment somers was afraid of him as of some great ugly idol that might strike he felt the intense hatred of the man coming at him in cold waves he stood up in a kind of horror in front of the great close-eyed horrible thing that was now kangaroo yes a thing not a whole man a great thing a horror i am sorry if i have been foolish he said backing away from the thing and as he went out of the door he made a quick movement and his heart melted in horror lest the thing kangaroo should suddenly lurch forward and clutch him if that happened kangaroo would have blood on his hands but somers kept all his wits about him and quickly quietly got his hat and walked to the hall door it seemed like a dream as if it were miles to the outer door as if his heart would burst before he got there as if he would never be able to undo the fastening of the door but he kept all his wits about him and as by inspiration managed the three separate locks of the strong door kangaroo had followed slowly awfully behind like a madman if he came near enough to touch somers had the door opened and looked around the huge figure the white face with the two eyes close together like a spider approaching with awful stillness if the stillness suddenly broke and he struck out good night said somers at the blind horrible-looking face and he moved quickly down the stairs though not still apparently in flight but going in that quick controlled way that acts as a check on an onlooker he was thankful for the streets for the people but by bad luck it was saturday night when sydney is all shut up and the big streets seem dark and dreary though thronging with people dark streets dark streaming people and fear one could feel such fear in australia End of chapter 11 Willie Struthers and Kangaroo Part 2 of 2